Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I to this guy for wisdom. We just had a 20th anniversary of 9-11. And the real story, the real story that people in the media ought to be focused on, there's a lot going on, but in terms of this 9-11 20th anniversary, to me the thing that stood out, and there are several takeaways, is that Joe Biden, the President of the United States, he didn't give a speech. Kamala Harris spoke, George Bush gave a speech, and I'm going to play that in a minute because George Bush is a disgrace. And I regret at the age of, how old was I? Well, I was in high school, defending him as he ran for re-election, supporting him in light of all my liberal Democrat friends at my elitist all-male college preparatory school who were ridiculing George Bush and hoping he was defeated. I regret standing up for him back then. But nonetheless, Joe Biden, he goes and visits the three sites, right? He goes to Ground Zero. He goes to uh, Shanksville, Pennsylvania. He goes to the Pentagon. And he doesn't give a speech. This guy, I mean, time and time again, we have absolute proof, indisputable evidence that this guy's an empty suit. Any other president who actually had his mental faculties and was not just a a prop and a pawn of this government, whoever it is that's telling him what to do time and time again, well, he would seize or she would seize the bull by the horns. This individual would take initiative and want to speak on the 20th anniversary. But of course, there are several reasons why he did not or his handlers decided he shouldn't. Look, he can ramble through a teleprompter speech. I mean, we know he, he, he's, he's brain dead, but he can still get through a speech. It's not pretty. It's painful to listen to. But he can do it, a 10-minute speech from a teleprompter. But the real reason he didn't give a speech or his handlers decided he wouldn't speak, I think, is because he's a disgrace. On the 20th anniversary of 9-11, well, he's just disgraced America, He has spit on the graves of those brave American men and women who have sacrificed overseas in Afghanistan in this war on terror that's been going on since 9-11-2001. And of course, now we find out his administration lied. They carried out a drone attack and killed innocent civilians and children. They touted them as being ISIS-K. They were so proud, patting themselves on the back about what they'd done, achieved. They got payback for the murder of those 13 service members at the airport. And it was all a lie. They knew it was a lie. They killed two innocent civilians, Afghanis. Well, it wasn't two. It was more than that. It was an entire family. 
so that they could pretend that they'd done something, so they could score political points, to act as if they had scored retribution, retaliation for the murder, needless murder of American lives. But that's the real story here. You have a president who runs from his position. This is what's interesting to me. I mean, I'm sure that Joe Biden enjoys the title of president. He enjoys being in the White House, having more AIDS than he's ever had in his life, helping him eat his soup, drink from his bowl, ask him if he wants clam chowder or pea soup or some other Gerber varietal that would feed a child. But apart from that, this guy's not interested in being president, not in carrying out the job of the president. He's never been up for it. We knew that on the campaign trail. And now again, we have indisputable evidence that he's not running the country. He's not making any decisions. He's not active. Other people are doing everything and they're telling him what to do and they're pushing him out there when he needs to be. He's, he's literally a puppet. But there are some other thoughts that were going through my mind over the, uh, the weekend. I was a freshman in high school when 9-11 took place. I was in Texas, Central Time. And I remember going to school having known that something terrible had happened. Just before I went to school, I believe uh, the news was on and I, I had seen and heard that a plane had hit the, well, one of the, the Twin Towers at that time. And nobody knew what had taken place. And I went to school and all my friends were aware of the same thing. News continued to pour in. Everyone was talking about it. It was the only thing on anyone's mind at school that day. And then, of course, the the school rolled out TV screens. And that's all that happened that day. Everyone was distracted. The teachers couldn't believe it. The administration couldn't believe it. The students from freshman to high school, from freshman to senior... Couldn't believe it. We were all just wanting to know what happened and get updates. And that's what that entire day was about. I don't remember anything else that happened at school that day. I don't remember any learning that took place in the classrooms, any uh, studies that would have normally taken place or lectures. Everyone was focused on those events. And I'll never forget the unity. That is true. America and Americans were united after that event. We were all angry and outraged at an enemy outside of this country. Not at each other. Democrat, Republican, that was put aside for a brief amount of time. But there's no doubt in my mind that today if such an event, if it took place today, there would not be unity. It would be politicized from the start. There would be finger pointing. And that's really how scary the situation is in America today. Today, there's almost nothing that can bring us together. There really isn't. But um, that was my takeaway from this weekend. I want to play uh, George Bush's, a little clip, if you haven't heard it already, of him, of course, taking the occasion to, well, bring up domestic terrorism. He wasn't specific, but we know what he was alluding to because the media jumped on and supported him. All the Democrats, all the leftist Marxist totalitarians, they applauded George Bush's speak because he seemed to allude to January 6th. And it was a disgraceful speech. 
to use this opportunity, the 20th anniversary, not to honor the lives of those innocent men and women who died in the Twin Towers and elsewhere, not to remind us simply of unity, but he had to throw in, well, this. Let's just play it, and we'll go from there. And we have seen growing evidence that the dangers to our country can come not only across borders, but from violence that gathers within. There is little cultural overlap between violent extremists abroad and violent extremists at home. But in their disdainful pluralism, in their disregard for human life, in their determination to defile national symbols, they are children of the same foul spirit and it is our continuing duty to confront them. There you have the former president, George Bush, taking this, well, this opportunity, if you want to call it that, on this sacred occasion, uh, this, well, painful remembrance, the 20th anniversary to seemingly equate those individuals on January 6th who committed no insurrection while equating them with terrorists who killed over 3,000 Americans by flying airplanes into the World Trade Centers, World Trade Center Towers. The left, of course, jumped on this speech quickly to celebrate it, to, well, praise George Bush for his courage, to congratulate him, to put their talking points out there that George Bush is, well, he's using his platform because he doesn't speak very often and he had this Big megaphone today, an opportunity to say what was important. That domestic terrorism, to echo, you know, Joe Biden's remarks that domestic terrorism is the greatest threat America's ever faced in the history of the kingdom come, the world. It never before have we ever had anything like this before. And it's just so disgraceful. It's, it's a lie for one. We don't have to go through it again, January 6th phony insurrection, in which one person died of unnatural causes, and that was Ashley Babbitt, shot by a black police officer, Capitol Police officer. But that's what we have. And I, I'm just sitting here, and honestly, I, 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 I am having trouble finding the words, because to me, I mean, it's just, the lie is so great. This whole narrative the left is trying to spin that Trump supporters, the people on the right, represent, well, do, they're domestic terrorists who are threatening this nation. I mean, he talks about whatever he said, defiling, you know, our monuments. And yet this is such a, a distraction from what's taken place. There's never any talk. All the violence takes place on the left. Antifa, BLM. I mean, these are the terrorist organizations that are still wreaking havoc throughout this country, tearing down statues of Robert E. Lee, of even Abraham Lincoln now, 
erasing our history. The left is the greatest threat to this nation. What they're doing, what Biden is doing, with these vaccine mandates, with the unconstitutionality, with the literally lighting our Constitution on fire. Absolutely upending the American experiment that makes us the master and those in government servant. Those are the domestic terrorists. And I'm just sick of hearing this because we know there's so many people in this country that the media reports it and that's just the truth forever. It doesn't matter what facts come out. None of it matters. It doesn't change the minds of these totalitarians and these indoctrinated people on the left. It's like Michael Brown, hands up, don't shoot. That whole fiasco. You know, Michael Brown, innocent black man, had his hands up and was shot by a police officer. That's what they reported. And that was the mantra, hands up, don't shoot. The predecessor of BLM. And of course, Michael Brown was not innocent. He punched a police officer in his vehicle through the window, tried to reach for his gun to shoot the police officer. And the the, the police officer defended himself. Michael Brown was not the victim. The police officer was the victim. But still to this day, people claim, hands up, don't shoot. And that's why this media is so disgusting, so sick, and so dangerous to this country, how irresponsible they are. And here's George Bush. George Bush, smiling with Obama, smiling with, with Bill Clinton, smiling with these American reprobates, like he's one of them, because he is. And it just defies explanation. But, you know, George Bush is not an honorable man. And uh, it's so funny how we used to look at that Bush family and talk about what gentlemen they were. Whether you agreed with them or not, they were so nice. They were kind. No, they're not. No, they're not. But anyway, uh, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. Monday, and I am, I am frustrated. I'm really irritated by the news that I'm sharing with you today. I am. As I was, uh, well, before I get into this U.S. drone strike and that story, which is uh, just, be, I mean, it's unbelievable again. Uh, before I get into that, you know, uh, Trump, I'm telling you, um, you can take it from me. I've said it before. He is planning on running for president in 2024. Um, he announced it as much through his actions over the weekend. While Joe Biden, did you hear? He was booed. He was booed at ground zero. Uh, 81 million people voted for him, uh, allegedly, and uh, they're nowhere to be found. Everywhere he goes, he's booed, heckled, and that's what you get. But that's how he was treated. But Trump, meanwhile, he took his own trip to New York City, and he visited with firefighters and um, first responders. 
And they had nothing but smiles, nothing but congratulations for President Trump. They, uh, I mean, they were so happy and excited to meet with him and see him. And I, I've said it before, Trump is a, a brilliant strategist. Right now, we have a situation in which, well, countless Americans, and even people who voted for Biden, who admit they voted for Biden, are coming out and they're, they're saying they regretted their choice. I mean, it's a little too late. Thanks. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, there's this movement in which, I mean, his approval ratings continue to go down, even in the, all these swing states that he allegedly won. I mean, he's down like 39% approval in some of these places, 40% approval. And yet he supposedly won these states. So whether he did or not, he's not popular anymore. Um, and so the Trump derangement syndrome lives on strong with many people in the media and many leftists still, but, well, it seems to have faded away for many people. And Trump is time and time again taking the opportunity to show that he, in fact, is presidential. He's showing the glaring distinction between himself and Joe Biden. And wherever Joe Biden goes, he's booed and heckled and derided, insulted. And everywhere Trump goes, he's praised, he's applauded. And it just really paints a clear picture. I mean, the momentum is moving back in that direction and away from Joe Biden, and Trump is taking advantage of it. And I think it's very, very, a very, very smart strategy. And anecdotally, to share a story with you that tells you what I'm talking about. Look, do not rely on the media uh, to tell you what's happening in this country. You have to talk to people yourself. You have to use your own senses to understand what's happening because the, the media is full of lies. All right, they're not going to give you and I an accurate picture of what's happening out there, the pulse of America. I went out to dinner uh, in my little town in Napa Valley uh, just the other night. Um, and I was sitting with some friends and uh, someone who worked in the restaurant came over. And she knew one of the individuals I was, I was eating with. And we started talking. And it quickly came out that uh, I don't know how the conversation came out. Honestly, when I'm around people, probably I, I, I don't know. I seek it out organically or even intentionally to understand what people's feelings are uh, politically because that's what I do. And I seem to always run into uh, these like-minded individuals or conservatives because out here in California, you know, it's still like being a Jew in Nazi Germany or or. or, or you know, uh, you know, you're always feeling it out to try and figure out if you're on the same team or not. And we had this conversation, and this woman, this woman, she has been a liberal Democrat her entire life, and she's not anymore. She's conservative. She's conservative. Now, I did not get into who she voted for in 2020. Uh, I, I, I cannot tell you that. But regardless, this is an inspiring, encouraging story. Now, I'm not blowing smoke. I'm not painting. Look, I'm a realist. You can come to me. I'm always a realist first. But this is happening more and more with me when I talk to people. So this woman is a, 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 grew up a leftist around these radical leftists. She described herself that way. And the lockdowns in California 
started to stir her imagination, get her to think about everything that she had previously believed about the left, that it was all a lie. And then with the vaccines, the insanity on the left, the way they are aggressively attacking, condemning, coming after those who have not been vaccinated, looking at them like the enemy, talking about them like their rights must be destroyed, their lives must be uh, made painful and difficult, and that they're the problem. Well, it's dangerous and it's scary. And this has woken this woman up. And she's a conservative now. In fact, her husband is running for an elected office, I believe an assemblyman, as a Republican. And this is just because of what's happened in this country under Democrats and in California specifically. So she's no longer a leftist. She's scared of the left. She sees what they represent, what their appetites for totalitarianism are, and she wants none of it. She's frightened of these people that she used to be with, that she used to, well, claim allegiance to, and now she's done with him, and she's moved on. And that's encouraging indeed. But anyway, I want to get into this drone strike. Now, I'm going to go back um, to August uh, 26th, I think it was. Now, remember, to set the, the scene, a lot happens, and a lot happens fast. So this wasn't long ago, but remember, we lost 13 service members in an uh, attack at the airport. And Joe Biden promised retribution for this. And so they carried out a drone attack, Right? And they claim that they killed an ISIS-K individual who was plotting another attack. And another one was injured. But let me go back and just play from the press uh, briefing what they said about what they had achieved. Good morning, everyone. Yesterday, uh, U.S. military forces uh, conducted an over-the-horizon counterterrorism uh, operation uh, against an ISIS-K planner uh, and facilitator. The airstrike occurred in the Nangarhar province of Afghanistan. I can confirm, as more information has come in, that two high-profile ISIS targets were killed and one was wounded. And we know of zero civilian casualties. I am not going to talk about specific capabilities ISIS may have lost in, in this strike. They lost a planner and they lost a facilitator and they've got one wounded. Uh, and the fact that two of these individuals are no lo longer walking on the face of the earth, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the people of Afghanistan. It's a good thing for our troops and our forces at that airfield. And I think I'm just going to leave it there. Now, I heard two voices there. That would be General Hank and then it was John Kirby. Um, so they, they announced that as a win for America, that they got these two ISIS-K fighters. And, of course, we had Joe Biden who announced, uh, let me see if I have it here, the story, or at least his quotation of what he had to say. Um, but, he, you know, he engaged in some, some tough talk, of course, afterwards. He, of course, praised himself. Um, well, I'll come back to it. I'll find Joe Biden's comments about it. But it turns out that that was not true. Now, this story broke by, believe it or not, an active journalism from the New York Times, a gentleman named Evan Hill. Now, Evan Hill tweeted out 
Uh, the final act of the U.S. war in Afghanistan was a drone strike in Kabul that killed 10 people. Our latest investigation shows how a man the military saw as an imminent threat, an ISIS facilitator, was actually an aid worker returning to his family. Now, Evan Hill, he's a journalist on the New York Times. They have a visual investigations team. Uh, visual investigations team, so what does that mean? They combine, I guess, traditional reporting uh, with, well, they call them new open source methods to break news and hold the powerful to account. That's their purpose. So what they obtained was video footage um, of this individual that was supposedly a member of ISIS, K, and they put the footage together. They uh, interviewed witnesses, and, well, he learned that this person killed, these people killed. They weren't ISIS-K. So let me just read this from The Guardian. The U.S. mistakenly targeted and killed an innocent aid worker for an American company in a drone strike in Afghanistan. The New York Times suggested in an investigation into the country's final military action of the recently concluded 20-year war. The victim, the New York Times said, was 43-year-old Zamari Ahmadi, who died with nine members of his family, including seven children, when a missile from a U.S. Air Force Reaper drone struck his car as he arrived home from work in a residential neighborhood of Kabul. Now, General Mark Milley, of course, after this, well, he insisted it was a righteous strike against ISIS-K members who had been observed. So he's saying that the American military had observed at points during the day loading what a surveillance team thought to be explosives into the vehicle and visiting a known safe house of the terrorist group. But the Times reporting, compiled from this extensive video analysis, interviews with Ahmadi's colleagues and family, and visits to the scene, cast considerable and potentially devastating doubt on that U.S. official version of events. So what the U.S. military observers said was Ahmadi acting suspiciously, well, it turns out he was going about his normal business as a worker for the California-based aid group Nutrition and Education International. His duties that day that the American government was observing as being terrorist activities well, the explosives that the government said he was loading into his car, well, they were water cartons that Ahmadi filled from a hose at his office and was taking home to his family. They had nothing to do with terrorism. He worked for a California group. The Times spoke to neighbors and an Afghan health official who confirmed that children's bodies were removed from the site. And remember, the official reporting after it happened was that there were no innocent civilian casualties. They, it was an outright lie. And this is why, remember, they wouldn't tell us the identities. They wouldn't reveal the identities to us of these two people. Now we know why. They wouldn't reveal the identities because the identi identities would damn the administration. Damn Biden's woke military. Now, after the strike, Milley conceded. He did say, he said, the U.S. was aware of at least three deaths. He said, I quote, he, quotation here, were there others killed? Yes, there are others killed. 
Who they are, we don't know. And now the Department of Defense is conducting its own investigation into the strike. It's not yet conclusive. Not yet conclusive. Um, I don't know where the Republicans are on this. This is a very clear instance of Joe Biden and his administration killing innocent civilians intentionally. You want to tell me that we made a mistake like this? Killing an innocent person, putting water into his car? They covered this up. They carried out a strike and killed innocent Afghani civilians just so they could say they did something. This is so outrageous. This is so sick and morally depraved. They did this to score political points, to pretend that they were tough on terrorism and nothing more. And this is another reason I would suggest Biden also didn't give a speech on 9-11 in light of this news. Because how can he show his face? Everything about leaving Afghanistan. I mean, every, every decision made was wrong. Every decision they made led to an increasing disaster and catastrophe, leaving $85 billion worth of American arms in the hands of the Taliban, leaving Americans stranded behind, gifted as hostages to the Taliban, not making efforts to get them out, to get them safely to the airport, not knowing their identities, not knowing how many people were there time and time again. And then they carry out a drone strike and they lie, bold-faced lie to the American people. We killed an ISIS-K member. And they applaud themselves for it. We're safer because of this. And all along, they knew this is a, a unbelievable scandal. I mean, it's scandal after scandal with this administration. And they just get bigger and bigger all the time. But the administration killed innocent people, a family, and lied about it. And only because this New York Times reporter, shockingly, shockingly, went about the important work of investigating this on his own with the means that he had available to him. But for that, we wouldn't even know this. Unbelievable, truly unbelievable. This is outrageous. This president and this administration are an abject failure and disaster, and they killed innocent civilians knowingly, knowingly did this, and then lied about it, thinking they could get away with this to pretend that they were tough, to pretend that they did something. Smoke and mirrors. And now there are 10 innocent uh, individuals dead, children killed, for what? These people don't have any morals at all. These are evil people. Evil people from the general to Biden. All of them. All of them. Absolutely consumed by evil. Alright, this is Drew Allen. We'll be right back.
I found the quotation I had promised earlier, dug it up with a little research during the break of what Joe Biden had to say after he murdered innocent uh, Afghani civilians and claimed they were members of ISIS-K. He says, I quote, uh, I said we would go after the group responsible for the attack on our troops and innocent civilians in Kabul. And we have. The strike, this strike, was not the last. We will continue to hunt down any person involved in that heinous attack and make them pay. This is so par for the course for this corrupt, evil, vile administration and Democratic Party. They're going to continue to hunt down any person involved in this heinous attack. They hunt down innocent people, just like they're hunting down the domestic terrorists that have done nothing wrong. These people are liars. They're so full of deceit. But here's Biden claiming how strong he is. I said we would go after the group responsible. He doesn't talk this forcefully because he's, he's, uh, he's weak and puny. He's a puke. I said we would go after the group responsible for the attack on our troops and innocent civilians. And he didn't do it. I mean, this is just incredible. Anyway, I want to get into some more COVID stuff here because it's never going away. But before, actually, while I'm on it, I get into the COVID stuff. There's another photo circulating, which is amazing. It turns out it's not a fake. It's not phony. It's not fake news. It's actually true. And it's so beautiful. It's the best part of my day today on Monday. Uh, so Joe Biden on one, <laughs> on one of his visits to one of the three sites, uh, on 9-11, he does a photo op. He gets a picture with people he thinks are his supporters. So it's a group of kids. I'm, I'm looking at the photo now. There's one, two, three, four, hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He's, he's pictured with eight children, eight children. They all look like they're under the age of 12. He's got his mask. Now, remember this. Picture this, folks. Kids are now so susceptible and vulnerable to the Delta variant um, that the uh, teachers' unions are fighting like hell to keep them masked forever and trying to get them all vaccinated. Well, Joe Biden here pulls his mask down below his chin to take a photo with these children who are definitely unvaccinated. You know what? You know why? I say they're definitely unvaccinated because, get this, they all have Trump gear on. One of the girls, smiling, has a Trump hat. Another one has a red one, glaring red. The other one has a blue hat that says, Make America Great Again. One of the children, um, I don't know, she's got something about a unicorn, but it's the American flag. And then you have a kid, a boy with a red shirt on. And I kid you not, it's, it's Donald Trump with sunglasses, and it says, I'll be back. It's amazing. So he's pictured with a bunch of Trump supporters, children around him, and he doesn't even know what's going on. I don't know at what point they put, put the hat on their head. I don't know if he's oblivious. I don't know the, how the story went. But nonetheless, Joe Biden with no mask on his face around these children threatening their lives. I mean, Joe Biden here, that's the real story from the media. Joe Biden tries to kill and murder a bunch of unvaccinated American children by smiling maskless for a photo op. But nonetheless, they're all uh, Trump supporters, which is unbelievable. It's hilarious. But uh, MSNBC, of course, with this vaccine stuff, uh, they just get more, well, 
they belong in an insane asylum. Anybody who goes on MSNBC and anyone who works there, they should be in a padded room. An MSNBC guest, she calls, he calls, uh, with Joy Reid, I believe it is, uh, vaccine refusers are bioterrorists and should be murdered with drones. This is why I referenced that woman that I, I met at dinner the other night. Uh, and why she's no longer a liberal Democrat? Because the liberal Democrats have lost their minds. This is what these people are saying. Vaccine refusers are bioterrorists and should be murdered with drones. Can you imagine a Trump supporter saying that liberal Democrats should be murdered with drones? We would never say that because we haven't lost our marbles. We actually still have morality. But this is the kind of stuff you have out there, which is so dangerous, and it's being promoted as, as mainstream news, mainstream media. MSNBC bringing guests on who are allowed to have a platform to literally call for the murder of the unvaccinated. But there's another photo out there too, by the way. So Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, AOC, and a group of Democrats... A gaggle of Democrats. They were in NYC over the weekend. I think it was over the weekend. But in the photo before the, uh, the news reporters arrive, they're all standing close together, and none of them are wearing masks on their face as they talk about whatever they're talking about, how awesome their lives are eating $20 a, a, um, a gallon, uh, not even a gallon, you know, a pint of ice cream like Nancy Pelosi in her fridge. But they don't have a mask on their face. And I just laugh at the Democrats in this country who continue to sit here and make statements like I just said about how, you know, vaccine refuses or bioterrorists. Here we have, you know, time and time again, we're told by these fake doctors and liars and propagandists that the vaccinated have to wear masks. And then you have every time, every time they're actually going about their own lives and conducting their own business, when they think they're out of the eye of cameras, prying cameras, and so on and so forth, they don't abide by any of it. I mean, when are Democrats going to wake up and realize that the joke is on them? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on me, said George Bush at one point. But anyway, this is an absolute joke. Um, but you know, uh, for example, you know, so France, by the way, has, uh, banned anyone unvaccinated from visiting France, man, I'm so sad about that. I was really dying to get over to France, but then you have England who was going to go forward with these, uh, vaccine mandates and passports and they pulled back on it. Meanwhile, America's going full steam ahead. You had the, uh, I, 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 I don't know his name. I don't care. He has some Indian name, you know, the guy who's the surgeon general who's a totalitarian and reveals that time and time again. Well, he's announced that uh, Joe Biden is going to announce and his administration are going to announce further measures to combat COVID. Who know What else can they do? They're mandating vaccines. And uh, I don't know what, maybe they're going to actually um, come to your home literally now, finally, and force jab it in your arm. But this vaccine is not a vaccine. Uh, I'm not giving an anti-vaccine diatribe here, but I'm telling you it's akin to a flu shot at this point, best case scenario. Vaccines, you don't get booster shots. Never in the history of mankind with science have we said that the vaccinated must be protected from the unvaccinated. You get a vaccine to protect yourself. And so 
This exists, the strain continues to change and alter its form. And look, there's other issues I'm not going to get into right now about this leaky vaccine theory, which is very credible, by the way, which is actually suggesting that the vaccine is actually responsible for the mutation of this virus. It's actually doing more harm than good in terms of uh, the proliferation and change of this virus. But nonetheless, I'm not here to offend anyone who's been vaccinated. I don't care. That's your personal choice between you and your doctor, or it used to be in a sane, rational world. But I do want to address something here because, um, of course, this uh, vaccine mandate of any business that has 100 or more employees from the federal government, the left, of course, is out there saying, oh, this is constitutional. This is going to be upheld by the Supreme Court. And I don't know what the Supreme Court's going to ultimately do because they've made plenty of unconstitutional decisions throughout our history. Uh, They don't abide by the Constitution time and time again. I mean, they stood for eugenics at one point, essentially. They, they, they upheld decisions to kill people who were, uh, didn't have their mental faculties. Dred Scott, you know, saying that, that blacks weren't American citizens. I could go on and on and on with this. So forget that. Read the Constitution yourself, and um, you don't have to be a constitutional lawyer to read the pages and understand that you have a right to bear arms or free speech, for example. There's no confusion about what that says. You don't need to be a Supreme Court justice to interpret it. They misinterpret. That's the problem. But nonetheless, the left, of course, is trying to argue. They they use smallpox, right? So once upon a time in America, um, you know, Supreme Court upheld a ruling in another court in, in Massachusetts There was a Swedish doctor, let me say it this way, a Swedish doctor who had been vaccinated in Sweden against the smallpox and had a terrible experience. He was in pain afterwards. Uh, His body rejected it, and he didn't want to do it again. But he was living in uh, the United States. Smallpox was was, uh, raging, and it was deadly, certainly. And so uh, in Cambridge, Massachusetts there, uh, they mandated the smallpox vaccine. And this Swedish doctor said, no, I'm not getting the vaccine. I'm not having my son do it because I have, well, I, I've been traumatized by it in the past. And so they imposed a fine. I want to what was it? $5, a $5 fine, I want to say back then, which would account to something like over 100 bucks in today's currency. But anyway, he wanted to fight the fine. He said they couldn't do that to him. It was a violation of his freedom. And of course, it went to the Supreme Court and they said, no, you have to pay the fine. Now, that that case, that ruling, one, it was not a federal mandate. You still had state rights back then. This idea that the federal government and the president of the United States can mandate vaccines in all 50 states for businesses that have 100 plus employees is a matter of uh, them being allowed to work based on their vaccination status, it's totally unconstitutional. And so even if you want to accept the ruling in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in the Boston area, that said that this Swedish doctor had to pay the fine if he wouldn't be vaccinated, well, that was a local issue. And furthermore, he wasn't forced to be vaccinated. He was forced to pay a fine. This administration is saying that he has the authority, Biden has the authority, to mandate that you cannot work if you're not vaccinated at a company that employs 100 plus people. And by the way, 
for you liberal Democrats listening to me, what say you about the fact that while he mandates these vaccines, if you're an employee or a contractor of the federal government or an employee of a business uh, that has 100 or more employees, well, the postal office employees are exempted. So are, so is Congress. They're exempted from this. So if you work in Congress in any capacity, whether you work for a congressman or woman, or if you work as a post office employee, you don't have to be vaccinated to work. But every other American does. That tells you everything you need to know. There's no science to this whatsoever. And I'm going to play a clip from Dr. Fauci, the disgraced Dr. Fauci who should be in prison, who lied to Congress under oath, who paid for gain-of-function research, allowed that funding at the Wuhan lab. Well, I want you to hear what he has to say in response to a question. It tells you everything you know. This is all political. It's all about power and control and nothing to do with science. Here we go, folks. Quickly, um, there was a study that came out of Israel about natural immunity. And basically the headline was that natural immunity provides a lot of protection even better than the vaccines alone. Um, how, what, are, what are people to make of that? So, so as we talk about vaccine mandates, there are, I get calls all the time. People say, I've already had COVID, I'm protected, and now the study says maybe even more protected than the vaccine alone. Should they also get the vaccine? How do you make the case to them? You know, that's a really good point, Sanjay. I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. That's something that we're going to have to discuss regarding the durability of the response. The one thing the paper from Israel... I don't have a firm answer for you on that. He, he doesn't have a firm answer for anything. I mean, here he is. I mean, shockingly, he's actually confronted with a fact, the reality. Um, and he doesn't have a firm response because it's all political. None of this has been scientific. And by the way, I want to backtrack because, I, backtrack because I'm very, of course, interested and it's my responsibility to report accurately. I think I said that this Swedish doctor, by the way, was a, uh, well, he was a Swedish doctor. He's not a Swedish doctor. I misspoke. He was a Swedish-born pastor named Henning Jacobson. That's what I was trying to say. He's a pastor, not a doctor. Um, so anyway, the point is, though, with Jacobson, I want to get back to this because it's important. So, you know, Jake's, Jacobson, he'd been vaccinated against smallpox in Sweden when he was six years old. And he said that experience caused him great and extreme suffering. And so when he immigrated to the United States of America and was living in Cambridge in Massachusetts, well, he refused vaccination for himself and his son because of his own experience. And so anyway... Later on, Cambridge was in this full-fledged smallpox panic. And the city ordered closures of schools, public libraries, churches to stem the spread of this disease. And so police officers, I mean, this is outrageous, actually, but police officers were accompanying health officials who were going door-to-door, vaccinating as many as 100 people a day. And then Cambridge, that vaccine order was compulsory, became compulsory. It was compulsory, but it wasn't a forced vaccination, okay? So people like Jacobson, not a Swedish doctor, 
this Swedish pastor. People like him who refused to get vaccinated, they faced, it, I am correct about the, the dollar amount. It was a $5 fine, which is $150 today equivalent, okay? And anyway, a criminal complaint was issued against Jacobson and other anti-vaccine activists, is what they called him, to collect the fine. But he didn't want to pay the fine, as I said. And so, anyway, it ended up going to the Supreme Court. Um, first, it went to the highest court in Massachusetts. They rejected Jacobson's claims, saying that, you know, uh, public health officials could determine the best methods for fighting an epidemic. But Jacobson didn't want to give up. So he took it uh, to the Supreme Court. It's the, the case is called Jacobson versus Massachusetts. And Jacobson's lawyers argued that the Cambridge vaccination order was a violation of, uh, well, their clients, in this case, Jacobson's 14th Amendment rights, which, you know, forbade the state from depriving any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So the question was, was the right to refuse vaccination among those protected personal liberties? And the Supreme Court rejected Jacobson's argument. And, uh, you know, they suffered a loss. So at the time, the, the, the writing for the majority, it was Justice John Marshall Harlan. So he recognized that the rights of the individual in respect of his liberty may at times, under the pressure of great dangers, be subjected to such restraints to be enforced by reasonable regulations as the safety of the general public may demand. And so this is what they call the reasonableness test. The government had the authority to pass laws that restricted individual liberty if those restrictions, including the punishment for violating them, were found by the court to be a reasonable means for, for achieving public good, which is very uh, socialistic, by the way. Public good. The greater good. But nonetheless, uh, all my points are sound and the same. He wasn't forced to be vaccinated. He had to pay a fine. And furthermore, this wasn't a federal regulation from Washington, D.C. that implemented this just unilaterally across all 50 states. It was a local issue. And the point is, uh, that's important as well because it, 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 it tampers down uh, and hinders the damage that could be done. But anyway, but back to Fauci here. He doesn't have an answer. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's being confronted with this evidence, of course, um, that, uh, you know, there's a study that implies heavily, based on evidence, that naturally acquired immunity is more effective than vaccines at preventing, preventing you from reacquiring COVID-19, which has always been the science. That's not a revolutionary thing. Natural immunity is always best. It's why you want the freaking chicken pox when you're a kid, why you had the baths to give you chicken pox. Because as a kid, you'll survive it, and then you'll have natural immunity, so you never have to worry about it again. But of course, if you don't get the chicken pox at a young age, and you get it as an adult, it's far more dangerous to you. And so Sanjay Gupta, shockingly, Asked if people who've already recovered from COVID should still be required to get the vaccine. And he says, Fauci says, I don't have a really firm answer for you on that. And yet Biden just 
is mandated vaccines as a basis of having employment, which is, okay, if you don't get the vaccine and you work for a company with 100-plus employees, you can't have a job. You're going to suffer, so you have to get a vaccine. He's mandating vaccines. And yet he ignores the fact that well, more than 100 million Americans have even had COVID already, and they have natural immunity. And so this throws everything out the window. It proves how corrupt all of this is. And there's a lot of theories out there. Why is this happening? Why are we doing this? And some some have suggested, which I think is the most reasonable conclusion at this point, that's not conspiratorial, is that if everyone gets the vaccine, well, there's no control group to compare the unvaccinated and those who... uh, uh, So you don't have two groups, one that's unvaccinated and one that's vaccinated, to compare studies to. It dilutes everything. And so anyway... This is all absolutely a scam at this point. An absolute scam. And these stories keep getting pushed out there time and time again about the overcrowding hospitals and so on and so forth. I've already talked about this on this program. If you go back to the flu season in 2017-18, which was one of the worst in the previous decade, the reporting was the same. Overcrowded hospitals, didn't have enough beds, Uh, Young children dying of the flu. Um, Young mothers with no pre-existing conditions dying. It's the same thing. It happens. And so anyway, uh, this is just an endless, endless pandemic for them. And if we just turned off the news, if we just lived our lives, everything would be absolutely fine. People would still get sick like they get sick from everything else. But this is a ridiculous attempt, overt attempt to render you and I the servants of the government, to give up our our, our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, our unalienable rights to the government. That's what this has always been about, the way they've utilized it. Anyway, this is Duran with Duran. Now, before I get to my final outrageous story uh, this Monday, for you, my friends, uh, American patriots out there, uh, I, I want to tell you another anecdotal story that has substantial, significant relevance. I met a couple uh, a couple days ago over the weekend. Uh, they live in uh, Santa Rosa, California. I live in the Napa Valley in St. Helena, actually. A little town of 6,000 people, many of them liberal Democrats, Marxists. Uh, (laughs) Just fun, a side note. Uh, Throughout the last year, uh, I moved out here amidst the pandemic, so-called pandemic. And uh, old, frail white people, every, uh, I don't know if it was Monday or Tuesday, but every Monday or Tuesday at like 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. on the dot, a bunch of uh, old white people would hold up their BLM signs uh, to elicit honks from passing cars. <laughs> Hilarious. Anyway, that's my town. Love it. Uh, a lot of stupid people here, though. Anyway, so I talked to this this couple, and, and the reason I bring up this couple is because they both work in the healthcare industry. 
They're both nurses. And I, I, I just asked them before I knew what their political inclinations were. I said, can you give me some insight about what's happening in the hospitals right now? Uh, what's curious to me is why we're not more focused on preventative treatment, treatment options apart from getting the vaccine. You know, whether we go back to hydroxychloroquine, which works, proven effective, zinc, proven effective at uh, healing people, ivermectin, all these different treatments that already exist that have been around for decades and decades and decades, which aren't dangerous because we know they work, and now we know they work uh, uh, at, 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 well, shortening the recovery period for COVID. Why is there all this effort by the government and the healthcare industry not to give these treatments that we know work? Why is it all about the vaccine? And this individual told me, one of the, one of the, 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 the wife, um, she was actually going to be quitting her job soon because she couldn't take it anymore, the amorality, abject amorality that she was witnessing. She told me that, you know, these old drugs, the patents had run out and they were cheap. And so she had been ordered uh, at the hospital not to give subscription, uh, not to subscribe, not to uh, offer, sorry, I should say, not to offer these cheap treatment options in favor of new treatment options that were being developed, that were in developmental stages even, because they made the pharmaceutical companies and the hospitals more money. So the reality is, if we want to understand the corruption, we have to follow the money, not the science. Follow the money. And it's really uh, comical to me because uh, Big Pharma typically was a target of the left, right? The left's all about corporatism, how evil capitalism is, how evil these corporations and companies are, how awful Big Pharma is. And now we have collusion with the Democratic Party and Big Pharma. And really, that's what it comes down to. They have made billions upon billions of dollars off of taxpayer dollars to uh, develop the vaccine. And now in perpetuity, they're suggesting booster shot after booster shot after booster shot. And so unlike the flu, where some people got the flu shot, others didn't, now we have a situation in which they're going to profit in perpetuity because COVID was novel and they've successfully scared everyone to death about COVID, even though 99.5% at least of the population is not going to succumb to the virus. And so here you have a person working in the healthcare industry being told not to give treatments that are proven helpful because they're cheap. That's about as damning as it gets. Tells you everything you need to know about the corruption in the healthcare industry, in the media, in the Democratic Party, and everywhere else. Follow the money, my friends. But speaking of corruption... And uh, stupid people on the left. Here's a headline. <laughs> this, is, this is on Fox News. I, I alluded to this in the last episode 
um, about how the uh, founding documents were, were being labeled harmful. We're here, well, here is uh, more to the story. Here's the headline. National Archives, Racism Task Force members rip Charters of Freedom label for Constitution Declaration. Members of the National Archives Task Force on Racism, unbelievable that this even exists, have recommended removing the Charters of Freedom description for America's founding documents, such as the Constitution, arguing that it did not initially grant freedom for all individuals. Approximately 800 National Archives and Records Administration, NARA, NARA, employees from across the country attended a town hall meeting of the Archives Task Force on Racism on May 11th. By the way, this is not a town hall. It's a town hall if you have disparate points of view. This is a lie as well. It's not a town hall. It's an indoctrination meeting. A meeting of like-minded totalitarians who are stupid and indoctrinated and who have no... They're not adults. They're not rational. They're not sane. But anyway, nonetheless, they all got together on May 11th. During the presentation, a museum subgroup recommended that NARA retire the term Charters of Freedom as descriptors for the U.S. Constitution, Bill of Rights, and Declaration of Independence. Here's a quotation. We should retire the term Charters of Freedom and remove it from our web pages, publications, and exhibits because, as we learned, these documents did not result in freedom for everyone, said one presenter, whose name was redacted. Of course, if I'm as stupid as this person, as dumb as this person, I'd want my name redacted as well. Another presenter of the same museum subgroup, whose name was also redacted, <laughs> You know, why redact their names? Stand up for your stupidity. You know, if you're so confident about, you know, the racism of the founding documents and your uh, absolute illiteracy and inability to understand history and read the founding fathers' actual remarks and letters to one another, which blatantly said they opposed slavery and didn't want it to continue in this country, oh, sure, redact your name. Anyway. So the, anyway, these members were tasked with recommending policies and procedures that ensure that everyone feels welcomed, included, and represented at our museums and presidential libraries. The presenter told the story about a black congressional staffer who took issue with the Charters of Freedom label, which currently appears on the archives website. It, you know, I want to tell this stupid redacted moron, uh, 600,000 mostly white Americans died, gave their lives in a civil war. Because the Constitution did not say, we the white people, it said, we the people. And that is the foundation and pretext upon which we, American citizens, gave their lives to right that wrong. Not giving black Americans the rights that were actually guaranteed in the Constitution. And also, by the way, for you dumb people out there, uh, liberal Democrats, the 14th Amendment, well, that was added as an amendment to the Constitution, to clarify beyond any shadow of a doubt that black Americans were in fact citizens and entitled to their constitutional rights. But what happened after the 14th Amendment was passed? Well, the Supreme Court and other amoral individuals in this country who are racists to their core, Democrats, by the way, 
Democrats, well, they would not, they still would not allow blacks to have their rights. So, you know, it's funny you, you align with the Democrat Party, and the Democrat Party is the party of racism in America. But anyway, here's a quotation of how this came about, this meeting. It happened during a tour of the rotunda, led by the congressional office, the presenter said. During this tour, the leader referred to the Declaration of Independence, Constitution, and Bill of Rights as the Charters of Freedom, which many of us often do. It was at this point that one of the tour members, a black congressional staffer, turned to him and said, Those are not my charters of freedom. I tell this story because it demonstrates the importance of the work of the task force. We never want our exhibits, programs, or educational materials to make people feel alienated or excluded. Oh, man. The subgroup also recommended reimagining the rotunda, which houses America's founding documents, arguing that it doesn't tell the whole story of slavery. We should reimagine the space to encourage both celebration of the document's successes with an honest reckoning with their failures. You know, the documents weren't a failure. The people, the racist people that were in charge of implementing the founding documents, they're the problem, just like the Democrat Party today. I have so little patience left for these ignorant people on the left who apparently are illiterate and can't read. And definitely don't have the mind to critically think or examine things for themselves or study these documents or the wisdom and words of the founding fathers or history at all. I mean, yeah, well, you know, the success, the failures are because of uh, racist Democrats. That's the problem. But, you know, this is what it comes down to. He, he, here's the timing of this, by the way. Uh, if you read the Declaration of Independence, uh, by the way, uh, this is a very scary document for the totalitarian leftists and George Bush right now. Because those founding documents, of course, and the Declaration of Independence say that, you know, after suffering a long train of abuses, it's actually the right of the people to abolish the government. And that's what we have today now. It's actually our right to get rid of them. The Constitution doesn't protect the government. It protects the American citizen. It condemns them when they behave the way they're behaving today. And it's got them scared to death. Because if people read that document, there'd be uprisings in the streets. And they would be appropriate. I'm not condoning violence, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. I don't want it to go there. But these people on the left seem really, really determined to push it there. With their mandates, their unconstitutionality, and so on and so forth. The Civil War was very violent, but it didn't have to go there. Abraham Lincoln warned against it 20 years before the Civil War. He said, if we don't start to all abide by the Constitution and swear our sacred lives and honor to abide by it and demand that others around us abide by it, well, sooner or later it must come. And it was the Civil War. And that's what the left seems to be determined to repeat history. And we on the right don't want it. We're like, you know, we're ringing the alarm bells here saying, hey, this is dangerous. Stop doing it. Stop attacking American citizens. Stop attacking the unvaccinated. Stop creating a new form of segregation and discrimination in this country. By the way, in New York, you cannot eat in a restaurant if you're not vaccinated. They're checking papers at the doors of restaurants. This has been reported by countless people now. We have a new era of, of segregation and discrimination. And these businesses are guilty. Just like pre-1964, 
these amoral, racist whites throughout this country did not allow blacks to dine in the establishments. And what was their excuse? Well, the government says we can't do it. The government says blacks can't eat in here. We're just following the rule of the law. And here we are again. These same amoral, depraved individuals that own these businesses in New York City and elsewhere in this country doing the same thing, engaging in the same discriminatory behavior. It's, it's just ridiculous. So our nation is the greatest nation in the history of the world. Every nation had slavery. Every nation had problems. We overcame ours. Despite the odds, from 70, 1776 to today, our Constitution was revolutionary. It declared that our rights are unalienable. They don't come from man, from the government. And here we have stupid people, corrupt people, who want revolution in this country, who want totalitarianism in this country, who want to reject the founding documents. Again, this age-old lie that the founding documents are racist, that America is inherently racist, and they're wrong. They're liars. And I'll tell you what. I had another dinner because I go to dinner a lot with my friends in my town of St. Helena. I've made a lot of conservative friends and many who are converts and many you wouldn't expect. And I'm building a coalition here and I, I, I encourage you to do it wherever you are because it works and they're out there. You just have to be brave enough to speak your mind. But I had dinner and, uh, well, a husband and a wife. The wife's white, the husband's black. Now, this black individual and friend of mine, well, guess what? He's voting for Larry Elder in this uh, upcoming recall election in California. And anyway, nonetheless, I just had a question for him. I just said, hey, I got a question for you. You're black. At least you have more melatonin in your skin than me, whatever. I don't care about your skin color, but, you know, whatever. The way the left looks at it, well, you're, you're, you're a black American, right? So how is it that... Um, in this world we live in, the Democrats uh, somehow successfully have convinced blacks to vote essentially in block, in one block, for Democrats. They act like you can't think for yourselves. There's no independence and autonomy of thought. All blacks vote for Democrats. What the hell is going on? Then he said, well, you know, a lot of people believe that, um, you know, the Democrats are the party of the blacks. And it goes back to, of course, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson. And this lie that there was a reversal between parties, that suddenly there was a switch. Democrats became the party of the blacks, Republicans became racist. And all of it's BS, and he acknowledged it was BS, but he's a brilliant guy, he's a studied guy, he loves history, he loves politics, but that was the explanation. This myth that we have to beat down, we have to tear it to the ground, because it's been going on for too long in this country. And so now... They want to attack the Declaration, attack the Constitution. And of course, the pretext of all this is to overthrow it. Because if you can convince the American people that the founding documents themselves are flawed, that they're responsible uh, for everything wrong in this country, well, there's nothing the government can't do because the First Amendment doesn't matter, the Second Amendment doesn't matter, none of the amendments matter anymore. The 14th Amendment doesn't matter because the document's flawed. And that's what these Democrats have been up to for a long time. But I've never seen it under attack like this, where you have the, literally the National Archives with a racism task force 
attempting to destroy the Constitution, to label it harmful. And of course, they want to label it harmful because it's in our favor. The Constitution is the savior of America. It's the document that tells us what our rights are. It's the document that restrains the government. And so while the government moves to violate the Constitution, they're simultaneously saying the Constitution isn't viable, it's flawed, and so it just goes hand and foot. Is that the word, hand and foot? Whatever, you get it. Uh, With what they're doing, their overreach. But anyway, I thought you should know that. It's very important. Things are happening. Uh, There are plenty of bright spots, but there's also a lot to deal with right now. Um, We're out of time today, but uh, this is Drew Allen. Thank you for being with me. God bless you all, and until next time.